Hey Henry, do you take pictures when you're on holiday? I actually do, yeah. Although I don't think I make that many. How much did you take on your last holiday? Oh, that's a good question. I think together me and my brother made, I think, 200 or 300 photos. And you're saying that's not that many? It's it's not that bad. I mean, some people take thousands of pictures. Okay, but do you want to know how much to have, how much pictures I took on my last holiday? <laughs> Tell me. Five. Five. <laughs> yeah, uh, more or less. Could so be one I suppose half. you you think very well of what you want to make pictures of, and then you make only one picture of it. Well, I actually <laughs> just forget about it. Ah, okay. I wouldn't look at them afterwards anyway, so I don't really bother taking them. Yeah, well, at least uh, I mean, when I'm when we and my brother go on holiday, it's um, it's really nice to show where we went to our parents and to let them see that we were safe. Uh, so at least I show them once. Yeah, of course. So you mainly take the pictures to show your parents that you didn't do stupid stuff, right? And the stupid stuff you did do, you didn't take any pictures of. That's how it works, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, it is mainly about storing an image, and that is of course what a, a picture is. But a camera consists out of two parts. Have you ever, ever, have you ever thought about that? It's about projecting light and storing the light. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, those, those two technologies were developed separately, actually, because uh, the camera obscura, which you might have heard of, also known as the pinhole camera, was the first sort of camera, but it could only project light. Do you know what the camera obscura is? Yes. Yeah, well, exactly what you said, right? The pinhole camera. So it basically is just a small point in a surface, and then you project it onto a screen in the back. Yeah, and that screen is in a very, very dark room. So the only thing you see is a an image of what is happening outside on the other side of the very, very small hole. Yeah, it's also flipped because of that. Yeah, yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. Left and right are flipped, but also up and down. Yeah, I've, I've seen some pretty cool pictures of where people um, used to uh, do this again, but then for modern cities, and it looks just really cool. Oh, you got to show me that. Let me see if I can find the picture. I saw it in a, le in, in a lecture because we, we had a uh, course on optics and they showed a bit of uh, photos. I can imagine that's relevant, of course. Yeah. Okay, can you show me? It's like this. Ooh, waiting, waiting. Oh, that looks weird. <laughs> yeah, but also really cool. Okay. Uh, I had to put my head upside down to make any sense of it. <laughs> it looks weird, man. Taking the classic image like I'm going to show you right now is way more clear. Both right, pictures yeah. will be in the show notes, of course. So that was the first development for projecting light. And that was in the year 400 before Christ. So quite a long time ago, and that didn't improve for multiple, multiple centuries, because uh, in the 17th century, 1600 something, uh, even the painters Rembrandt and Vermeer used this, uh, this technique to get uh, really good looking paintings. It's quite interesting yeah. how they did that. I've got, uh, I've got another picture for you. Yeah, I heard about the Vermeer setup. Yeah, there it is. It's... Um... It's like a really nice way to just basically paint what's projected on like the paper. It's actually quite an easy way. I can imagine I can do it as well on this manner. 
Uh, My well, drawing skills maybe, aren't that yeah. great, but <laughs> this way it's just uh, it's just drawing a line on the place that you see. Right. It shouldn't be just too hard, I can imagine. But Famiya and also Rembrandt are, of course, excellent painters. And quite smart how they did that. you got to admit that. Yeah, I really like their uh, use of modern technology. I, I think uh, sometimes modern painters um, maybe might to want to experiment some more with it, although I'm not too familiar with what's happening right now in the like art scene, but... Yeah. Well, me neither, but you say modern technology, <laughs> that technology was 2000 years old at the time, you know that? Yeah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> it's not <laughs> that modern. Anyway, so now you've got a way to project light and now we need a way to store light. And Johann Heinrich Schulze, a German guy, if I remember correctly, he was the first to actually store some light. And what he did, he had a chemical mixture of uh, chalk, silver nitrate and nitric acid. And he could show that it would darken over time when it is exposed to light. Uh, only problem is when you show it to somebody, it also darkens. So that disappeared quite fast. Therefore, it was not a permanent picture, but a good start, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, that's definitely true. But uh, Schulze did not realize he could develop that further or he did not succeed. I do not know. Hmm. Anyway, he, he could not make a permanent picture. And then we're going to talk about Niepce. About 100 years later, in the year 1814, he was the first to, to succeed making a negative picture using silver chloride. But that also dark, darkens over time. And I've got a picture of that, which I'm going to show you, which I actually just did. You can see some fake outlines, but it is quite dark actually yeah well i've got a bit uh, very low contrast yeah yeah it was it was i've got a picture a better one over here uh, right now ah, which has that uh, one is well known or i've seen it yeah the fun thing about this one though is you can see the sunlight on both sides of the picture meaning that the exposure time was in the order of several hours eight hours to be wow more precise <laughs> i know right not a very yeah that was the first not a very effective way to make photos. No, but it's a start. It's the first permanent photo. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, it's... he called it the heliograph in 1826, actually. This uh, this photo, which I, I just showed you, was, was taken in 1826. Because of the sun or the helio sun? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It has something to do with that. Helio is also light, if I remember correctly. Anyway. That was in 1826, and seven years later, the guy died. So he couldn't develop it further, but he had this uh, assistant uh, named Louis Daguerreau, who was also really interested in developing in developing photography. So I wanna I wanna talk about him and about Henry Talbot. Talbot, he was British, if I remember correctly, and Louis Daguerreau is French, as you might have guessed. So many Henrys in this episode, man. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Anyway, in 1839, Louis Daguerreau uh, invented the Daguerreau type. And just one year later, Henry Turbot, in 1840, he uh, developed the Kellotype camera. And what's the difference? Well, Henry Turbot had a easy to make and more flexible camera, but the exposure time was about an hour while the Daguerreau type had an exposure time of only a few minutes, which 
quite rapidly uh, reduced to only about 30 seconds. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, but that one wasn't as easy as the turbo type. So which one got more famous? Well, it's actually the Dagger Row type, but yeah. mainly because of another reason. Oh. Dagger Row actually said it was free for everybody to use because he sold it to the French government. Except for England, by the way, I guess he hated England. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> I know, right? And Henry Turbot, he just asked a license fee for every camera or every picture taken. That made it very, very expensive. And therefore, the Dagger Road type was, oh, well, the one that was booming, the one that got developed. Nice. Free market. Yeah, I know, right? Yep, that, that, that's, the, that's why it got developed so, so fast. Well... I've got a nice nice picture over here. It was actually taken with the Decker Road type. Let me send that to you. Yeah, there you go. I, I was already looking yeah. at it at Wikipedia. <laughs> of course. What you see in the, this picture is uh, one of the first pictures uh, ever, but it is the first ever photograph of a human being. And that's actually quite nice because um, there are several human beings in this picture, but because of the exposure time, which is more than a few minutes, they all get blurred, except for the guy that's his shoes is being polished. That's no English. I, I'm yeah, I'm I got the image here, but I'm I'm trying to find the other humans, but I can't really see them. So, indeed, no, no, they got blurred because of the exposure time. So imagine walking uh, down the road like you see on the picture. If the exposure time is seven minutes, you might be in the picture at one spot, but at the end of the exposure time, you're long gone. You know? Yeah, yeah. So okay. they got blurred, and you can't see them anymore except for the guy that is standing still over there in the light, uh, left bottom corner. Lucky guy. I find that quite nice, Being... actually. Yeah, lucky <laughs> guy. I don't think uh, he's that famous for his name, but uh, people will always remember him, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't think there is even a name included in the photo, but uh, yeah. No, there's not. I don't, I don't think it's known who that guy is. Anyway, talking about uh, pictures of human beings, the first selfie. Ah, yeah. So yeah. I, I gotta say though, this picture uh, is is actually pretty good. Like the contrast is really nice. Um, it's it's pretty sharp. You can see who it is. Yeah. Whereas uh, I would say uh, the first selfie is still. I'm not sure if it's just badly preserved or if it's really that bad, taken at the time. But yeah, there is a really stark difference there in technology. Uh, there is. There is indeed. Uh, although this picture is of course also quite old, almost 200 years old, uh, and also taken with the daguerreotype, you can indeed say that uh, the quality is indeed increasing. Also around that time, uh, John Herschel, you might have heard of him, coined the word photography, which means light, photo is light, and graphy is drawing. So uh, photography really started being used, which I genuinely quite like. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Um, also, I think as soon as people started to figure out how this, how this thing works, they, they immediately started to make an art form of it. And it just... Uh, it was, I think, the only way for uh, the, well, not the regular folks, but uh, the one that had only a bit of money to, to preserve the image of, of relatives, of, of friends. And that was, of course, not possible except for paintings, but those were very expensive, I can imagine. Yeah. So that makes them quite interesting. Uh, but what people wanted to do, of course, as well, is get a 
photograph which contained cola. Mm -hmm. I've got the first picture with cola over here. Ah. It's not that beautiful, but it has colors, so I think it counts. It's taken by Maxwell, right? Let me see. Or at least. Uh, yep, you're right up. about that. James Clerk ah. Maxwell. Okay, yeah. I had it somewhere over here. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how he made that picture though. It's I think he used I think filters or prisms. I'm not sure. I do not remember. I have read it somewhere. Okay. But I do not know anymore. But it's it's still a color, however he did it. Yeah, that, that is quite nice indeed. Just like you said, uh, the quality was improving quite rapidly and people started to think about how to use uh, this technology for scientific purposes. And one thing they always wondered about is if you think about a racing horse, one that is galloping, yeah, has it ever one leg uh, attached to the ground or is it flying at a certain point in time? Ooh, I don't know. I, I think, it, I think it's, it will be flying, but I'm not sure. Yeah, you just cannot see it with your with your eyes. Right. So they had to use some sort of photography. And what they did is they had uh, several pictures taken just after each other and they put them next to each other. And I just sent you a YouTube link. You should watch that. It's really awesome. But you can clearly see it is indeed flying. Nice. Oh, that's cool. There is a moment in time which no lag is... It's attached to the ground. <laughs> it's well, when you start to think about it, it's actually kind of a silly question, but I, I can imagine that people maybe get slightly heated debates about whether one or the other was true. And then, yeah, with this technology, you can just see it. It's so nice. I think it was really hard to prove right. until uh, this development. And you gotta say that that's just really cool. So with uh, only a th like a, still a 30 second exposure time, how did they manage to do to do this? Well, this picture was not taken with the, the, the Garrier type, which I talked about. Ah. It was taken around 1880, which is about 40 years after the development of the Garrier type. And uh, the shutter time was increased quite a bit. They had almost instantaneous uh, cameras at that time. Okay. Hmm. So uh, that made it indeed possible. And because of that, uh, businesses started to boom. You know, of course, about Nikon or Canon, which are quite modern uh, photography companies. But in 1888, Kodak was founded. Oh, really? And they had a, yeah, they had a quite cool concept. You, you uh, purchased a, a box, a camera, you could make 100 photos you uh, send it back to the factory, they resetted it, but they also developed the pictures and then you could take 100 photos again. Mm. And you, yeah, you, you had that kind of loop. But that's... And those Kodak cameras were of course way more expensive than you would think about right now, yeah. but it made them accessible and that that is so nice when it gets available to the public. Well, I, I would say available for the higher class, but yeah or upper middle class. Yeah, of course, the lower class at that time was not that rich to to buy a camera, but it is a start to get that happen eventually as well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Instead of just uh, like, you know, sending a, a, um, a film, you just send the whole thing. Yes, because when we were uh, 
a bit younger, I guess it's about 10-15 years ago now, you only had to take the film and you you took it to to one of the companies in your local town and they could develop it. Right. Or you could do it at home in your in your basement. But at that time you had to send the whole camera back to the factory. Huh. Which is a bit less convenient but still nice. Yeah, also a bit more expensive then of course because yeah, you have to send the whole thing. Oh definitely. But it is a start and like always you gotta start somewhere and it gets developed and it gets developed and it gets better over time. Okay, cool. So what uh, what uh, what improvements do uh, do do you want to get to to a old camera? Of course, you want to zoom in, like a lens camera. Yes. Which only got developed in 1949, which is more recent than I than I thought it would yeah. be. Yeah, because uh, yeah. The, like the field of op- optics has been quite old, and if you start think about microscopy and telescopy. And telescopes, uh, of yeah. Course. So you would imagine that cameras also can like zoom, huh? Yeah, you could imagine that, but I guess it was not. I did not know why people didn't think of that. What they did think about though is digital images as early as 1957, although that was just a scan of a regular picture. Ah, well, that's in, that doesn't really count, though. yeah. That doesn't count, right? <laughs> yeah, in 1975, so that's about 45 years ago now, it's hard to calculate mm-hmm. that. Uh, the first digital camera was was published and the first picture was uh, was okay. taken. How many me- uh, megapixels do you think that was? Uh, oof, I think maybe one or two. Yeah, uh, not even close. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Several orders of magnitude too much. It was 10 kilopixels. Oh. So that's 0.01 megapixel. Wow. Not that much, but again, it's a start. Yeah. Fun fact though, uh, the company Kodak, which I mentioned about, uh, did not follow because uh, they did not see market in digital cameras and boy Ooh. were they wrong. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did try it though in 2004, but they filed bankruptcy in 2012. Oh man, that's a shame. They were just too late. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, the, the bigger companies like uh, Nikon and Canon already took over. And you've got, of course, uh, the camera in your mobile phone right now, first introduced in the year 2000, which is just, that's the market right now. Uh, old-fashioned cameras are hardly used anymore, only by uh, professional and hobbyists, I think. Yeah, I mean... Digital cameras are the world right now. Yeah, so digital, uh, the single lens reflex cameras, those, those are still widely used. I think that's correct indeed, but how will it develop? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so it's it's maybe a bit of a big step to go from like the old photography that we had to more modern photography because just the technologies that started to be implemented in cameras, it just went so quick, especially with the, like the digital camera. Uh, technologies that were being added were like really really insane so yeah i'm not sure where to start because maybe we should just look at the digital single lens reflex camera and maybe go from there yeah sure Uh, do you actually know how that thing works i know a bit or two but uh please explain let me show you a uh schematic of how it works so on the front of the camera you have a, a big lens and that's the the big lens you know that's used to focus the light 
And then behind the lens, there is a uh, reflex mirror, hence the name uh, single reflex camera. That makes sense indeed. And what that does is it sends the light up at a right angle towards a, a pentaprism. And what that does is it like flips the image upside down. So it's for you, it's upright, and then it goes into the viewfinder. And the reason why it's doing that is because if you would have a separate lens for a separate viewfinder, you would have a slight parallax. So like a, this different perspective. And that would also cause you to have like a different image that you see and what the camera sees. Okay, so in this manner you get uh, the picture you actually expect to make. Right, because the light that is coming in in the viewfinder is the same light that would come in at the sensor that is behind the uh, reflex mirror. Yeah, and when you take uh, actually take the picture, the mirror just gets flipped, right. so it doesn't block the, the sensor, and then you get the actual picture, right? Yeah, and that is also the reason why if you take the picture, the viewfinder goes black for a second because there is no light coming in anymore in the viewfinder. That makes sense, but that's only when you're talking about analog cameras, right? Well, actually not because digital, uh, the DSLRs also use the, they use the exact same technology, except for that there is a, now like a sensor behind the mirror instead of an old film. So it's still the same. And then you might wonder, okay, so how, how do you do a live preview? Like uh, if you see a camera, usually what you see is, uh, you know, you got like a live preview and that, that is- On a display, you mean? Right. Yeah. And um, that, is, that is how um, mirrorless, mirrorless uh, cameras work, is they just take out the mirror altogether. And then instead what, what they use is um, they just send a uh, pulse of electricity through the sensor to like mirror the shutter effect. Because, okay. okay, let me try to explain this. Usually what happens when the mirror flips up is that also the shutter goes down and then the sensor behind it gets exposed and then the shutter closes again and then the mirror flips back down. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah. if you take out the mirror, then what happens is, I don't think there is a shutter anymore, but instead the sensor is put on and off for a certain amount of time. And then you basically have the same effect. Okay, I think I get it. And on another thing that is, is pretty interesting is how, how does the camera actually out of focus? You just press a button and then, or at least on the SLRs, you like half press a button and then it focuses automatically. That's quite cool indeed. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always nice to, to get that feeling and you can always manually adjust it if you want to, but yes, the digital and automatic version is of course really, really nice. So from an optics standpoint, how you get a perfectly sharp image is you got light rays going out in all directions from an object and those light rays that fall into the lens and are focused into one point are forming the image. Yeah, that makes sense, of course. Uh, otherwise, the image isn't isn't sharp. It's it's just a bit blurry. Right. If you want, so if you want to, um, if you want to focus a camera, what you do is you move the distances between the lenses so that the focal point changes. Well, slight editorial here. Of course, the focal point doesn't change, but the image distance changes. Uh, that makes sense. And when the focal point is before or behind the place you want it to be, you can just iterate between the two points and find the perfect, perfect spot. Is that how it works? Yeah, but that is, it's not as easy as it sounds. You have two methods. 
and uh, one of them is is mostly used in uh, in mobile phones. Other the other one is mostly used in uh, in DSLRs. You got why is the, the difference? That, why the difference? That's a, that's a very good question. Let me um, then first explain what cameras use, and then maybe you also understand why phone uh, camera phones don't use it. So the face detection works like very shortly explains it works in such a way that you create two images um, by the works of prisms and lenses. And then these two images uh, fall in on two separate sensors. And then what that does is it can analyze those two pictures. It can like overlay them and with very complicated maps uh, determine whether the picture is out of focus or, or not. Okay, um, I just have to believe you on that part. Well, I, I, I get what you oh, want to say, but uh, the math is, of course, hard to explain in Yeah, uh, in and, um, indeed. And also, uh, for the viewers, I can still put a nice video for you, and I'll also link it to you. Um, you can watch it later. It, it really well explains how the out-of-face detection works in a really like clear manner. The art looks quite nice on the preview. I'm definitely going to watch that after the after recording. So, but what this what this requires is that you have so a, a fairly big lens um, and you need to have like two sensors also but also again two lenses to like focus the image that comes from two points. Um, so you need a lot of optics and a lot of space and cameras don't or phones don't have that space. Uh, so that's why they use, of course, uh, another technique to reduce the size of the phone. Yes, and that is that technique is called contrast detection out of focus, and that's way easier. Basically, what it does is it analyzes a uh, a picture, and then you can again with a little bit of algorithms and maps, you can uh, like calculate how much contrast there is in the picture, and if the contrast is too low, then the lens moves moves a bit. And then if the contrast gets even lower, uh, it moves the other direction. So it really goes back and forth and then tries to find the highest contrast. And that is how you get go get the picture in focus. Ah, I get that. But why do uh, digital cameras not use that technique if you say that's uh, indeed the better way to do it? Well, it's not entirely better. It depends on the situation. Uh, contrast detection is slower because you have to move the camera back and forth uh, and iterate a lot until you get a throughout picture. And if you have moving Im images, then that's gonna be not fast enough to keep your object in focus. So that's why digital cameras- uh, So that's why uh, digital cameras are always famous for making way, way better pictures than a mobile phone, mobile phone can do. And that's not entirely. partly uh, the answer, I think. No, well, the, the reason why, uh, and we're going a bit all over the place, but it doesn't matter. Um, the reason why camera phones or mobile phone cameras don't have a very good image quality is because of their, their uh, sensor size. And that really goes to show, in, for example, if you try to make a, dark, uh, a picture in a dark room with, a, your, with your mobile phone, it's pretty bad. Okay, that, that's correct. Uh, and that's because of the size of the sensors. Yes, uh, because the, there is just not enough light coming in to actually have enough, like to make enough contrast. Okay, that makes sense. Um, it does. And that is also wh where like contrast, contrast detection autofocus is, is. It doesn't work so great in darker environments. 
Oh, today I learned, I guess. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's as soon as you di- start to dive into it, it's really interesting. Also, another thing that, that you got to wonder is, but wait, how does the phone even focus? Because you need to move lenses. But you, do you even have space for that? Because everything is so small, right? I can imagine that if indeed everything is so small, you only have to change uh, one nanometer, maybe a few nanometers to to make a, a real big difference between out of focus, in focus, or out of focus on the other side. Um, yeah, so so I, I, I looked up a couple of, um, of, of videos on, on YouTube and actually what, what is the case is that um, you have like the lens module where all the lenses are enclosed and you have like a casing. And this casing uh, has magnetic corners and around the lens module, there is a coil. So with electromagnetism, you can that way move the uh, lens module back and forth a little bit. And that is how- And that little bit is just enough to make the difference between focus and out of focus. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's quite smart. I, yeah, I, I really like those kind of solutions. It's, it's because you have so little space, you gotta be really inventive about how, how you get a nice picture. Yeah, implementing a whole other technology just to fix a problem in phot- uh, photography. You gotta say, that's, that's quite impressive. Yeah, and also another uh, question is, do you have any idea how many lenses there are in your phone? Ooh, I always assumed there was only one, but I think <laughs> I don't have the right answer over there. No, so indeed, that is not the correct answer. Even older phones had uh, at least like three or four lenses to make a good image. Really? Yeah. They're just really thin and really small. Oh, oh who would have thought? And even newer newer phones have even more. I think, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but more in the order of seven or eight lenses. And Okay, I'm looking at my phone right now and I think I can see two, but <laughs> yeah, you uh, really I have to peel them. the other six. Uh, you really have to peel them apart because the space between the lenses is so small that you can hardly see it. And also that is the reason because everything is so small, the lenses are made of plastic and not of glass because just because of the geometry of everything, everything is so small, you can't really use spherical lenses either. Those are not good enough. You will have too much aberration, so too much difference in focal length for different colors. So they use plastic lenses instead and you can make those aspherical. So for example, the, like the, the outer ring of the lens would diverge and the inner ring would converge, something like that. And uh, that way you can in make- In that way, the glass or plastic in this case doesn't rupture. Uh, it, otherwise I can imagine the glass would break or it's just, just too thin to, to be even practical. Well, you, and I, I, I think it's technically even impossible to shape glass in such a way that it gets so aspherical, but I'm not entirely sure. So yeah, there's there's a lot of technology in in this um, in this small device, and you wouldn't even think about it. That's so cool. Yeah, especially the, the fun fact about the number of lenses. I I really like that one. Yeah, when my when when my teacher said the iPhone X has I don't know eight lenses or something, I was like, wait, what? How? That's so weird. <laughs> okay, and then one uh, because we talked about mobile phones now, cameras in in mobile phones, but even that is not. I would say, well, it's, it's current technology, but not what will the future bring. And um, one piece of technology that I still wanted to mention is something that won't be implemented in mobile phones, probably, well, not in the near future, but at least will already get implemented in uh, DSLRs is liquid lenses. 
Is it because of the size of the of the liquid needed? I'm I'm not entirely sure. I think it may be the size of the electronics, uh, or because it's it it everything together gets quite bulky, like the whole piece of technology. Okay, how do, how does it work? So imagine you have a box of oil, and you have a droplet of water inside it. The water the drop of water is just gonna sit in there because it, the oil is hydrophobic. And now if you apply a current uh, from one side to the other, the, uh, the droplet will start to deform because water is di dipolar. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And if, if you now imagine that this drop of water can, be, can act as a lens, then you can change the focal distance of this droplet just by applying a voltage over the oil and the water. So that means you can make it in any shape you want to. Exactly. You can, well, uh, depending. Practically almost any. Yeah. Well, if you have. That's so cool. If you have more electrodes, then you, indeed you can also start to, like from different sides and different points in space, you can uh, apply the voltage. And. Okay, I can imagine that's quite sophisticated and uh, not something we can do quite soon, but it is quite nice. Yeah, well, I, I already, I'm not sure if this is like confirmed, if it will be, but soon enough, this will appear in cameras. And the nice thing about this is that you can also do, um, you can make it such that the image stays still, still whenever the, the camera is moving a little bit or shaking. So you, you just um, uh, filter all the movements by uh, the hand of the, the photographer. Yeah, because and make, a, make an image which is perfectly still. Yeah, well, not entirely perfectly still, but at least already a lot more still. And this is, of course, because you can just continuously change the focal point of the image and and well, the shape of the lens to compensate for the movement of the camera. So that way, you still have a perfectly still image. Technology and, is awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's really cool. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> And that's uh, we're already at a point which, which is quite nice. You can you can make pictures of, of things in such a high resolution. But but the thing is that even that gets improved, and I, I just genuinely like that. Uh, also, if you want to know a bit more about how this uh, arc or electro wetting works, there is a video about that as well. Okay, um, the thumbnail is really really weird. Yeah, and that is uh, that is how it works because if you use. Um, apply a voltage over over this, uh, I think it's a comb, the, the water will get deflected because it's dipolar. So, That's cool. Uh, yeah. That looks nice. And Is there a way to, to try this at home? Uh, I think there should be a way to try this at home, although I'm not entirely sure how. Uh, uh, you just need a small voltage, I think, and then uh, a sink. I've got a sink. Wait, let me, <laughs> let me actually see what he puts there. I think it's... Oh yeah, you can you, you can totally do this at home, I think. You just grab a comb, you rub it against your hair, and I think if you then hold it to the foquet, then it will deflect the water. It's really that ah, easy. So a balloon would work as well? Or yeah, a balloon, but it's a bit bigger, but it, it's because of the static electricity. It creates an electric oh, field. Nice. And, yeah. Oh, I gotta try that. <laughs> so lots of technology. and uh, Yeah, it's, it's fun to think about, it's fun to read. So now everybody got something to try at home. Also maybe experiment a little bit more with cameras. And otherwise, if you don't know what to do with your life, you can also just visit our website and check that one out. 
that's a good bridge, you know, it's better than the, <laughs> than the last time we discussed something about making bridges. <laughs> yeah, so... Anyway, ageoftechpodcast.com. Exactly, where else and, can people uh, find us? And YouTube, iTunes. Yes. And that's about it. So thank you for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. Yeah. Adios. Bye-bye.